you could turn with me to Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. Hundreds of years before Jesus came, the prophets wrote about a day when God himself would come to earth um, to bring justice and forgiveness to his people. So that's Malachi chapter 3, verse 1 through 5. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, said the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness, and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years. So I will come to put you on trial. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and deprive the foreigners among you of justice." But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. And then Malachi chapter 4, verse 1 to 5. Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and evildoer will be stubble. And and the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays, and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. Then you will trample on the wicked. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all of Israel. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. And lastly, Mark chapter 1, verses um, 1 to 9. And here we see that... um, Mark quotes from the passages we read about in Malachi, um, declaring that Jesus um, is both the Messiah and the Son of God. So Mark chapter 1, verse 1, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit.
Well, good morning, church. There's a lot happening at this time of year, uh, but it is a real pleasure to be here with you this morning to just slow down for a minute uh, and consider the words of our God given to us in Scripture. And this morning, I want us to consider one of the biggest questions you could ever ask. It's one of the biggest questions you could ever answer. It's probably a familiar question for many of you, but, it, but it's this. Who is Jesus? We're considering this question because this morning, as you've heard, we're starting a new series in the Gospel of Mark. And, and this really is the big question that Mark answers throughout his book. Who is Jesus? It's a simple question. But it's also a question that divides Australian people. Uh, So have a look up on the screen. In 2019, uh, there was a survey that asked this question, just asking just regular Australian people, who is Jesus? Have a look at the results. Uh, You can see it's a pretty even split, right? 15%, who is Jesus? Just a normal human. 22% think he's God in human form. 22% on the other side, the green, a prophet or a spiritual leader. 16% are just honest and say they don't know. Uh, 22% in the yellow think he's he's a myth, a a fictional character. Uh, And a a small number of people think he's something else. But you can see here, this question, it's a simple question, but it divides Australian people, around 20% for each of those big five options. But I want to say it's also an important question. You know, it's not just one of those questions that divides people, but no one, you know, it's not really that important. It's an important question. Let me give you two reasons why it's an important question. First off, your perception of who Jesus is determines your response to him. You know, you think about Jesus and he makes some big claims, outrageous claims, some might think. He tells us that there there is a God. He tells us that there is an afterlife. There's heaven and hell. He tells us that we need to have our sins forgiven by him. He tells us that there's a right and a wrong way to live. And if you just think that Jesus is a a fictional character or or even just a normal human being, you're not really going to care too much about what Jesus says, these claims he makes. They're probably just made up like he is. Or uh, if you think he's a a prophet or a spiritual leader, you might consider the claims he makes. You might even take some moral teachings from him. But at the end of the day, he's just one of many spiritual leaders that you might listen to. You put him up there on your shelf next to Buddha or Muhammad or Confucius. But if it's true that Jesus is God in human form, then you have to start to think these claims that Jesus make, he actually knew what he was talking about. That that he's right, that he has authority and that you should listen to him. You see, who is Jesus? It's an important question because the way you answer it will determine your response to him. But secondly, maybe uh, you've been a Christian for a long time, Uh, you're coming, you've heard the Gospel of Mark preached about many times before. I want to give you another reason 
why this is an important question to keep on considering. And it's this, that reflecting on who Jesus is will help you to persevere with him. It'll help you to walk with him. Consider the first people who would have read the Gospel of Mark back in the first century AD. These people were Christians experiencing extreme persecution for their faith. You see, what had happened in the year 64 AD, under the reign of Emperor Nero, there was a massive fire that swept through the city of Rome. And rumours started to spread that maybe Emperor Nero had officially ordered this fire to kind of cleanse the city. You can imagine, people weren't happy. And so to quell this rumour, Emperor Nero came up with a cunning plan. Look at what uh, Tacitus, he was a historian back in the first century. Look at what he wrote about this. Uh, To suppress the rumour that Nero himself had started the fire, Nero fabricated scapegoats and punished with every refinement the Christians. He blamed the Christians. Have a look what he did to them. First, Nero had self-acknowledged Christians arrested. Then, on their information, large numbers of others were condemned. Their deaths were made farcical. Dressed in wild animal skins, they were torn to pieces by dogs or crucified or made into torches to be ignited after dark as substitutes for daylight. Some of these people are the first people who would have been reading the Gospel of Mark. I I can just imagine these people meeting together, maybe in smaller groups so they wouldn't be seen, under the cover of darkness, grieving the loss of brothers and sisters who had been arrested or even killed, meeting together fearful for their safety. Imagine these people reading the Gospel of Mark, considering again the question, who is Jesus? As they're reminded of who Jesus is, I can just imagine a little faint smile breaking out on their face. I can imagine a sense of peace kind of coming into their hearts in the midst of chaos, knowing that Jesus is completely worth it. See, reflecting on Jesus' identity helps us persevere with him. I know we're a long way from that here on the Central Coast, but my hope throughout this whole series is that that same little smile might creep up on your face as you see Jesus again. The same peace might pour into your hearts as you consider who our Lord Jesus is and what it means to follow him. That's my prayer. Amen. So who is Jesus? That's what the Gospel of Mark is about. Today we're going to see three pieces of evidence just from the first eight verses of who Jesus is. I've got them up on the screen here. First we're going to see Mark's conclusion, then we're going to see the prophet's prediction, and then we're going to see John the Baptist's preparation. All right, that's where we're going. Uh, First off, Mark's conclusion. Well, thankfully, Mark doesn't keep us in the dark for too long about who he thinks Jesus is. Uh, in fact, it'd be great if you had your, your Bibles open um, to, to Mark chapter 1, because not all these verses I'm going to talk about are going to come up on the screen. Make sure you can see it. Um, 
Mark answers this question, who is Jesus, on the very first line. Verse 1, the beginning of the good news concerning Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. See, Mark says straight up, Jesus, he's the Messiah, the Son of God. I think this is Mark's conclusion for the whole book of Mark, really. You know, normally you put a conclusion at the end of the book, but here Mark puts it at the start. In, in fact, it's likely that this first sentence was actually intended as the, the title for the book. So, you know, we call it Mark or the book of Mark, gospel according to Mark. But it's likely uh, early readers uh, would have called it by this whole first line, the beginning of the good news concerning Jesus, the Messiah. It's a bit of a mouthful, isn't it? But this line really sums up everything that Mark writes about. Uh, there's a lot of important words uh, in this first sentence. But I want you just to notice one thing, the, the kind of royal flavour in this first sentence. We see it in a few ways. First off, uh, the word good news, or the, the term good news, some translations might have gospel. Uh, you know, good news, it's not just like good news, or, although it is, uh, but this term was actually in use far before Jesus came. Gospel was a type of royal proclamation. Uh, so, for example, whenever a new ruler or king came to power, they would send out a message throughout the, the kingdom, throughout the empire, to celebrate. And, and this message was called gospel, or good news. All right? Next up, the word Messiah, again, also in that first sentence, uh, or Christ, some translations might have it. It just means king, or, or anointed one. In particular, it was a, a kind of a long-awaited, promised king that the Jews had been hoping for. Even the term son of God has a royal flavor. King David, back a long time before in the Old Testament, was considered God's son. You see that in Psalm 2, for example. And so Mark is going to write about this, this royal proclamation. There is a new king, Jesus the Messiah, the son of God. And that's really the summary for his, his, the whole book. You don't hear Mark's voice much throughout the Gospel of Mark. Instead, Mark just tells us stories about Jesus. And, and, and these stories, the point of these stories and, and, and the teaching that Jesus does, the parable he tells, the point is to show us what kind of king Jesus is. I think Mark, in this very first sentence, He's kind of giving us the lenses through which we should read the whole book. You know how you can get different types of lenses, right? My wife, Danielle, she's very fussy when it comes to buying new sunglasses. She always has to buy glasses with, with brown lenses. I don't know why. I think she just thinks the world looks better in brown or something like that. Right? You hear about people in love and you say they're wearing rose-tinted glasses. Right, It kind of filters out all the other things and you, you just see the rose colour, the good thing about the person they're in love with. Well, I think Mark's giving us the lens through which we should read the Gospel of Mark and it's, it's this, it's just king. Right? I was going to make up some big goofy glasses that said king and wear them on stage here. Danielle told, told me not to. 
But what we're meant to do as we come across different passages in the Gospel of Mark is we're meant to look through the lenses, Jesus is king. What type of king is he? That's Mark's conclusion for the whole book. Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus is king. Well, the second piece of evidence we're going to look at is the writings of the prophets, the prophet's prediction. See, just on Mark's introduction, you could think that Jesus is just another king, just another king in a long line of kings, you know? But here, Mark, in this next verse, blows that idea completely out of the water by showing that Jesus isn't just another king. Jesus is no less than God himself, right? This is what the prophets always predicted. Uh, Now, it's kind of interesting how how Mark uh, writes this next bit, though. Verse 2, right? uh, Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, right? So he says, Isaiah the prophet, and then he kind of gives this big quote. But then it's kind of interesting because as you read through this big quote that you can see up on the screen there, He actually goes on to quote not just Isaiah, but a whole bunch of Old Testament prophets. So the first bit, I will send my messenger who will prepare your way. That bit is actually from Malachi chapter 3, which we just read, right? Uh, Now, this next one's a little bit debated by scholars, but uh, uh, they kind of say that middle bit, that, that first bit and the middle bit, I will send my messenger ahead of you. They say it could be referring back to the prophet Moses, Exodus 23. And then that last bit, uh, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. That's, that's Isaiah 40, all right? So, so what's going on here? Why does Mark say, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, but then he goes on to quote Malachi and Moses as well? You see, some people think that Mark's kind of just made a mistake. He's just kind of forgotten where these different things came from, and so he just says Isaiah, but he's kind of wrong. I think what Mark's doing here is actually, he's, he's giving us like a, a mixtape of the prophets. You know, it's kind of like uh, the album cover for So Fresh 2006, right? This, is, uh, this was from when I was a teenager. Uh, and when you look at the front cover, you can kind of see there's, there's some pretty big names up there, right? Um, I don't know if anyone remembers these people, but Rogue Traders, Kelly Clarkson, who else have we got there? Mariah Carey, Black Eyed Peas. I thought Mariah Carey only had that one Christmas song. It turns out she's got another one. Anyway, I went back and listened to a, a part of this CD this week, and I don't recommend it. It's pretty terrible, honestly. Danielle told me to turn it off. But when you, when you start playing through this CD, you realise there's actually 40 different artists on this album. And so you have songs from all those guys up there, but then you listen and you've also got songs from like um, Rihanna. You've got songs from U2, Delta Goodrum, Backstreet Boys. And you, and you kind of think, how did the Backstreet Boys not make it up onto the front cover of the album, right? <laughs> I would have bought it just for that. Anyway... They must have had some kind of clever reason, some kind of maybe marketing reason for putting these people up on the front cover. 
uh, and, and not anyone else. For example, I saw Shannon Knoll up there. Maybe, maybe Shannon Knoll was just particularly hot in Australia that year or something. They've got some kind of reason for it. And I think that's what Mark kind of does here. He gives us a, a mixtape of the prophets, but he wants to draw particular attention to Isaiah. And I think that's because as you go through the rest of the, the book of Mark, you see you find all these references in particular to Isaiah. And so I think when you read Mark, he's telling us we've got to read Mark alongside Isaiah. This, this was actually kind of a pretty standard Jewish practice in scholarship at the time. But let's, let's look into these verses a little bit more. Uh, so there they are up on the screen. It's actually really interesting to know what these verses have in common, what these, uh, what these passages in particular have in common. I think there's kind of two things all these passages have in common, and that they're all kind of in the context of the Lord God coming to dwell on earth, right? And, and secondly, there's also, in, in all these passages in the context, there's also some kind of messenger preparing the way for the Lord, or preparing people for the Lord. So in Exodus, for example, uh, this is uh, when Israel were, were in the desert, in the Old Testament, uh, and there was an angel, a messenger, leading the people to the promised lands where, where God would, would dwell with his people in the temple. Right? And that's what ends up happening. The people go into the promised lands, Israel goes, and God dwells with his people. But then as the story of the Old Testament goes on, the Lord's presence departs from Israel because of the people's rebellion, because of their sin. And so in the prophet Ezekiel, you have this really interesting scene where the Lord, the presence of the Lord, departs from Israel, from the temple. But the great promise, particularly later on in the Old Testament, is that one day, God will again come and dwell with his people. He's going to come and dwell with his people and rule his people. So Isaiah 40, for example, there's this voice calling out in the wilderness. The Lord is coming again. He's going to come and forgive our sin and he's going to rule his people with a, with a mighty arm. You can look it up later. And in Malachi 3 and 4, which we read a little earlier, you have this great day when the Lord is again going to come and dwell with his people. It's going to be this big, kind of massive, scary event. Malachi chapter 3 verse 2, we just read it, says, Who can endure the day of the Lord's coming? Who will be able to stand when God appears? So you get this picture, right? Mark's given us this kind of mixtape of the prophets to warm us up to this idea that, that Jesus is king, but he's not just any king. Jesus is God himself, come to earth to reign. Sometimes I think it's, uh, it's kind of easy to forget what an incredible thing this is. The, the God who made the universe, who flung galaxies out with his hands, that he would come to earth 
to dwell and to rule as a mortal man. That's amazing. It's kind of hard to wrap your, your, your mind around. Thinking back to those early Christians suffering, being killed under Nero, I can imagine that they might have struggled with this idea and maybe wondered, did we get it right? Is Jesus really God? Is he really worth suffering for in this way? And today, we have, you know, we have Muslim people, Jews, Jehovah's Witnesses. None of them believe that Jesus is God. Do, do we still really have this right? Well, I think the prophet's writings from hundreds of years before provide a way for us to verify this claim. You know, and, um, on Christmas Day, I don't know if many of you were here, but Dave, in his sermon, uh, was talking about Facebook Marketplace scammers. Put your hand up if you've ever been scammed on Facebook Marketplace. Yeah, okay. Anyone, what, has someone tried to scam you? You haven't fallen for it? Yeah, okay, a few more hands there. I, you know, people have tried to scam me for sure. Dave was saying that one of the ways you verify if someone is trying to scam you on Marketplace is by looking at how old their, their profile is. You know, if it's only two weeks old, you know, warning signs, danger, they're probably scammers. But if you look and they've been active on Facebook since 2014, then, you know, they're pretty legit. You know, that's what Dave was kind of saying. Well, I think what Mark is saying here is that God has been active in... His profile has been active since BC 700, 700 years earlier. This isn't just a new idea that God would come to earth. It's, it's an old one. And so we can trust it. It's an old idea that has now come to pass. And that should give us a lot of assurance. Jesus is God himself come to rule. All right, next point we're up to is John the Baptist's preparation. So we've seen the prophets predicted God himself coming to earth and there was going to be some kind of messenger beforehand to prepare the way. Uh, well, I've got a question. How do you prepare for a royal visit? How do you prepare for the queen or king coming to visit? I heard on the news the other week that uh, King Charles, he's just announced a, a royal visit to Australia coming up in 2024, right? Kind of, I wonder how Australia will prepare for this royal visit. I actually dug up this, um, this photo of when Queen Elizabeth visited the central coast in, I think it was 1954, right? Does anyone know where that photo is? Wyong Station. There you go, look at that. So how did, how did Wyong Station prepare for a royal visit? You can see they, you know, they all kind of came out, they all turned up. I don't know if you can see, there's some kind of flags, people are waving and they've got some nice banners up. Maybe they even gave Wyong um, platform a sweep. I don't think they've done that since, to be honest. But, um, you know, so that's, that's how they, they prepared uh, for a royal visit. I was, I was kind of wondering, though, I wonder, you know, I imagine Queen Elizabeth, I imagine she had like a big security entourage that were kind of planning her trip. I wonder if there was anywhere kind of on the central coast or anywhere where they were just like, no, nah, you, you can't go there, Lizzie. <laughs> Don't go there, that's, that's too dangerous, uh, you're, 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 too good. you're too good for them or something, I don't, I don't know. Maybe, maybe she got off the train before it got to Morissette, you know, like, I don't know. 
maybe that wasn't good. Anyway, anyway, how do you prepare for a royal visit? Well, what about Jesus, the Messiah, God himself coming to earth? How do you prepare for that? How do you prepare for a king coming of whom John the Baptist said, I'm not even worthy to stoop down and untie his sandals? You know, a king who's not just going to wave from the back of a train as they shoot through the central coast 100 k's an hour or whatever, but a king who's actually going to come and reign, dwell with his people, rule, fix the place up, bring justice, punish evildoers. How could you ever prepare enough for that? Well, John the Baptist shows us in verse 4. So John the Baptist, he's the messenger who was to come before God to prepare the way. Verse 4 says, And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. I think what you see here is this sense where Jesus coming is so great and glorious. The way to prepare for him is is not to dress the place up. It's it's not to dress yourself up and kind of just pretend that you're, you're something that you're not. The only way to prepare for the coming of God, the only adequate response is to confess your sin to him. To confess that you're not worthy. To repent, to stop living for yourself and to start living with him as king. To receive a royal pardon, the forgiveness of sin. That's how John the Baptist prepared the way for the coming of God. And that's the only way you can prepare for such a glorious coming just to admit that you're not worthy, you don't deserve it, and receive his, his grace. So maybe you're here today and, and you've heard uh, what I've been saying. Jesus, he really is the Messiah. He's, he's the King. He is God himself come to dwell. How, how do you respond to that? Well, the only adequate response to that, such a glorious King, is to admit that you are not worthy to admit that you've been living for yourself and to turn and start living with him as your king and in doing so receive his forgiveness. That's the only adequate response. You know, if you want help to know what that looks like, you can come and chat to me after the sermon or anyone else you've seen up on stage here and we would love to help you think through what that response might look like for you. But I think I also want to say, I was really encouraged reading this passage this week. Uh, You know, Good News Week is coming up uh, three days, or or, uh, yeah, and Tuesday night too, uh, where we get to uh, tell people on the central coast about Jesus. I reckon John the Baptist in this passage is actually a really good role model for us as as we head into this week. See, what what are we trying to do this week? We're just trying to introduce people in our community to Jesus. It's, it's not about us. 
it's not even about the Lakes Church. You know, we would love it if people from the community did come back here and keep learning about Jesus. But it's all about Jesus. Like John, our job this week is just to point to Jesus and call people to repent, to receive forgiveness of sin. And so let's pray that just as flocks of people went out to John the Baptist in the desert, let's pray that flocks of people come here this week, their kids come into the program, their adults into the cafe, and that we get to tell them about Jesus. Let's pray for that. Well, this morning, uh, we've looked at three pieces of evidence for who Jesus is. We've seen Mark's careful conclusion. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Son of God. We've seen the prophet's prediction Jesus is is God himself come to rule. And we've seen John the Baptist's preparation, you know. The only adequate response to this coming king is is to repent. To me, these these opening verses of Mark are kind of like the big introduction that that wrestlers get when they enter into the the wrestling ring. I don't don't know if you've seen this. You know, just imagine a big fight uh, in this arena. Thousands of people are crowding out the arena Uh, And the big wrestler, he kind of steps through the entrance. There's loud pump-up music going. You know, there's a voice over the speaker that, you know, calls out, you know, the heavyweight champion of the world, that kind of thing. Although that's not who Jesus is. It's Jesus is the Messiah. He's the king. He's God himself coming to dwell. He's the one the prophets spoke about. John the Baptist, he he ain't nothing compared to him. It's his big hype-up. But the most surprising thing happens in the next verse. I wasn't even meant to preach on this verse. This is meant to be for next week. But we see Jesus step onto the scene, but in a way that you just wouldn't expect. You see, Jesus steps onto the scene, and and he's the king. He's the Messiah, the Son of God. But he comes in humility and loneliness. He comes from this town called Nazareth. It's it's like Bougainville. It's like the Messiah, the king coming from Cessnock. It's this type of place where people would say, can anything good really come from there? And John the Baptist, even even though John the Baptist wasn't worthy to even stoop down and untie Jesus' sandals, here we see Jesus stoop down at John's feet and be baptized by him. See, Jesus the Messiah, he's the the son of God, but just not as you might expect. He came in humility and lowliness. And so as we finish up here this morning, I want to just give, give two challenges. First, don't let the fact that Jesus came in humility change who you think he is. You know, going back to uh, the survey results up there, I wonder if a question that people might have after listening to this sermon today is, you know, if, if Jesus really is God in human form, if Jesus really is the King, the Messiah, why wasn't it more obvious? You know, why didn't he come in a way that the whole world could see, a chariot of fire? Why didn't he leave a a bigger mark, a a physical kingdom or something? God had a way bigger plan than that, friends. God had a better plan than that, to come to the world in a way that we needed, in humility. To come to the world to serve, 
even to die on the cross. Don't let Jesus' humility change who you think he is. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God, preached by the prophets. But second, don't let Jesus' humility change your response to him. You see, it's easy to subscribe to this idea, you know, Jesus is the king, but then to keep on just living your life exactly as you were living it beforehand. The only adequate response to the King Jesus is to repent, to stop living for yourself and to start living with him as your king. His humility, if anything, his, his love and compassion should make us want to serve him more, not less. And so I want to challenge you, you know, New Year's Eve today, it's kind of a natural time where, where you look, at, look to the year that's coming up and, and you kind of plan your life out a bit. You know, you pencil in your priorities. And so I want to challenge you, just sometime in the next uh, couple of days, get out a piece of paper or maybe even just talk to a friend if you don't like writing stuff down and just talk about what is it going to look like for you to live with Jesus as your king this coming year? How are you going to help your family live with Jesus as their king this year? How, how are you going to be in your workplace and live with Jesus as your king this year? You know, I, I can't say what that's going to look like for you, but I think this would be a good discussion for us to be having as a church family as we roll into the new year. So don't let Jesus' humility lessen your response to him. Jesus is, is king. He's your God. He's your saviour. Savior. Let's, let's live with him as our king this year. But let me pray as we finish up. God, we thank you for King Jesus. Thank you that he came into the world in the way that we needed him to, in humility, in love, and to serve. Would you help us to know what it looks like for us to live with Jesus as our King this year? We pray also for Good News Week that many people might come to hear this news that the King has come and that they might repent and receive the forgiveness of sin this week. Amen.